0: Pastor Xavier Reese and a God that gets to the heart of things, on today's Simple Truths.
1: Isaiah's name is significant. His name means Jehovah is salvation. His name represents the very heart of God towards His people and lost man. God is in the business of saving people, of providing the power that's available to change your life if you don't know Him.
0: Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. God's chosen people, too often it seems, were choosing some other priority over God during the Old Testament narrative. But for such a time as this, God was indeed faithful to raise up a voice to get them back on track. And in today's Simple Truths character study, Pastor Xavier will be taking a closer look at one very significant prophet in Isaiah who did in fact represent the heart of God towards his people. Let's listen.
1: One writer declares that the prophet Isaiah is distinguished less by any special excellence than any of the other prophets, yet one cannot fail to witness his passion, his consistent activity, amid all the confusion. and the true poetic ease, And beauty of style combined with the force and irresistible power. If you've ever read the book of Isaiah, it's an incredible book. Another one put it this way. For versatility of expression and brilliancy of imagery, Isaiah had no superior, not even a rival. His style marks the climax of Hebrew literary art. Both his periods and descriptions are most finished and sublime. He is a perfect artist in words. Beauty and strength are characteristic of his entire book. Epigrams and metaphors, particularly of floods, storms, and sound. Interrogations and dialogue. Antithesis and alliteration. Hyperbole and parable. Even paranomasia, a play on words. Characterize Isaiah's book as the great masterpiece of Hebrew literature. By the way... It was found in the Qumran caves that attest to the accuracy of God's Word. The one that was found there is 700 years before the text they had. And when they compared it, it was identical. Identical. So much for those who say, well, how do we know that the Bible's been translated and transferred down without error? Simple. It's God's Word. And so the book of Isaiah is a very valuable text More so in view of the findings in the Qumran case with the Dead Sea Scrolls His richness of vocabulary is seen in comparisons to the other major prophets in the book of Psalms Ezekiel uses thousand five hundred and thirty-five words Jeremiah uses thousand six hundred and fifty-three words The psalmist uses two thousand one hundred and seventy words Isaiah uses 2,186 words. Every word was to call Israel back to God and was not to be wasted. The people of God were in a sinful condition and as Isaiah exercised his ministry to Judah, the prophets Hosea and Amos exercised their ministry in the northern kingdom of Israel. And then later, towards the end of Isaiah's ministry, the prophet Micah also prophesied to Judah. So when you go through Isaiah, think of Amos and Hosea. We studied all the minor prophets. Amos is a great prophet. You should know that book. Hosea is a great prophet too. They're minor prophets. They're to the northern kingdom. Now, the life of Isaiah will unfold for us by looking at it from three vantage points. First, Isaiah the man. Secondly, Isaiah the man And his call. And thirdly, Isaiah the man and his ministry. Let's begin with Isaiah the man. First of all, Isaiah's name is significant. His name means Jehovah is salvation. His name represents the very heart of God towards his people and lost man. God is in the business of saving people. God is in the business of providing the power that's available to change your life if you don't know Him. There's no other power in the world that can change your life. You cannot change yourself. You cannot alter yourself. And if you can do that outwardly, you cannot do it inwardly. And what you are inwardly towards God is what will damn you to hell. We are deceived by what we do outwardly, while disguising what's inwardly. The power of God gets to the heart of things. The name was a sharp rebuke to the nation of Israel who were in a sinful condition. They were the people of God, yet they were in need of salvation. They were the people of God by lineage, yet they were living as the enemies of God. Things never change. His name was an extension of God, as a representative of God, the prophet of God, to the people of God. He was a mouthpiece. Remember, the prophet was a mouthpiece of God and his primary function. The secondary function was to be the mouthpiece to reveal future things. Now, secondly, Isaiah's family is recorded for us in chapter 1 of Isaiah, uh, verse 1. We are told that uh, his father was Amos. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos. Now, this is not Amos, the minor prophet. It's got a Z. We know nothing about this man outside of this. Nothing else is given to us. Isaiah had a wife also. Maybe you didn't know he was married. But she was a prophetess in chapter 8, verse 3. He says, Then I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. So, she better be his wife. (laughs) No name is given to us. No genealogy is provided. His sons are also mentioned to us. The oldest is found in chapter 7, verse 3. His name is Sheer Jehob. It is right. His name means a remnant shall return. Now remember the names are very symbolic in the scriptures. Especially when when people have been used of God and are being used of God. Uh, they, they, the ministry of, of Isaiah... Had great meaning. Many of his prophets went into great charades, almost like, you know, remember Ezekiel would lie on his side um, hundreds of days and and he would cover his face and cut off some of his hair. And I, as a matter of fact, even Jeremiah later on was to take a, a, a girdle and tie it upon him and then hide it in the Jordan, in the Euphrates. And then after it's all moldy, put it on him and walk around. And I mean, all kinds of stuff. Very picturesque to communicate the message. Jesus did the same thing. A sower went out to sow. And he painted pictures to teach. Isaiah's oldest son here was a reminder that even though judgment was coming, there would be a remnant of God's people to return. God always has a remnant. Now, Isaiah was to take a son with him. Verse 3 tells of chapter 7 there. At the end of the aqueduct from the upper pool. On the highway to the fuller's field. And Isaiah was to declare to Ahaz not to fear the threats of Syria. Ephraim. In verse 5 down to 7. And Remaliah of coming against them. And set up a king over them. Interesting. They're living apart from God. They're rebelling, and yet God is still trying to work for them. He's trying to woo them. Not that they're snookering God. And so often, people who are rebelling against God, God is not in any hurry to bring judgment. He goes as far as He can to try to woo them, and they think that they're just pulling a fast one on God. Or worse yet, that God approves of their lifestyle, and that's why He's blessing them. The younger son of Isaiah... Is found in chapter 8, verse 3. And those of you who, ladies who are pregnant and are looking forward to a child. Uh, Maher, shallow, Hashbaz. <laughs> there we go. Which means hastening to the spoil, hurrying to pray, or hasten to the booty. His son's name was symbolic of the Assyrian conquest of Damascus and Samaria. Judgment was coming. Though judgment could be averted through repentance, if they didn't, judgment would come. He was to write them in a large scroll. In verse 1 of chapter 8, it says, so that all might read it. Take a scroll and write on it with man's pen concerning Meher Shalal Hashbath. (laughs) Judgment's coming. They're going to take spoil. Remember the northern kingdom. Corruptness. Prophets are up there. Now his words would be fulfilled before the child knew how to cry. My father and my mother. Verse 4 tells us. So through the prophet, God is declaring. Judgment's coming. And I know your heart. You're not going to repent. And before this child can cry out and have the ability to cry out, my father, my mother, is this, this particular judgment will take place. And that's one of the interesting things about God, that he says things before they happen, so when they happen, we know he's God. No one has that ability. All well, many will say Gene Dixon and whoever, but they don't predict the future. They roundabout hit one out of a thousand <laughs> And they speak in very general factors. God is the only one. One of the challenges, if you read Isaiah, specifically after chapter 40, is this. Listen, I've, I've been around for a long time. And I've run up and down the cruise of the universe and I've never bumped into any other God. But if you've ever known one, tell him to tell me things before they happen. So when they happen, I can declare him to be God. No one's ever come up and taken him up on that. He's the only one. It's a key theme. In the second half of the book Now Notice thoroughly Isaiah's position Implies that he belonged to a family Of some influence and rank Due to his privilege If you've read his book He had easy access to the king Chapter 7 verse 3 Told him to go talk to Ahaz The Lord said to Isaiah Go out now to meet Ahaz he had personal contact and knowledge of Uriah the priest and Zachariah the son of Jeberachiah in chapter 8 verse 2. So he had access to the court. He was married to his wife the prophet as we saw that in chapter 8 verse 3. He enjoyed the advantage of a good education as well as social affluence as his writing reveals. Jewish tradition makes his father Amos a brother of King Amaziah, or Uzziah. That's another name for Uzziah. Uh, making Isaiah the first cousin to Hezekiah, but uh, this, again, is, is beyond Scripture. It's just Jewish tradition, so we can't be certain of that. A man named Dr. Howard A. Kelly, world-famous surgeon and gynecologist, wrote on the night of his graduation from medical college this, I dedicate myself, my time, my capabilities my ambition, everything to him. Blessed Lord, sanctify me to your use. Give me no worldly success which may not lead me nearer to my Savior. How much more should the average person like yourself and myself give the little we have to the Lord to use us all he can? I look at people who are so talented, so gifted, so smart. They got more brains in their little finger than I have in my entire body. And they willingly lay everything down at the Lord. And then some of us have so little and we say, mine, mine, I ain't giving it up. This was Isaiah the man. Take all. And really, isn't that the only way to serve the Lord? You can't two-time God. You've got to give it all so you can see what he can really do. Such was Isaiah, as we will see. Secondly, we see Isaiah the man and his call. Now, turn to chapter 6 because that's where we find his call. As you know, the book of Isaiah is pretty, um, pretty long Uh, You have a total of 66 chapters. It's called the mini-Bible, and it's interesting that it divides up equally like the Old and New Testament. In the New Testament, you have 39 books, and in the New Testament, you have 27 books. Uh, Well, the first 39 chapters of Isaiah deal with judgments and all, and we'll go through that next time. And the minute you hit chapter 40, it moves into comfort and forgiveness and many prophecies of Jesus Christ. And so it's called the mini Bible, (laughs) the old and the new. So much so and so distinct it is that many have professed that there were two Isaiahs who wrote it. Now, if they would have read the New Testament, they would have made a fool of themselves in the Old Testament because Jesus quoted Isaiah from both parts and said, Isaiah said. So they could have sold themselves a lot of seminary studying. I mean, seminary studying. (laughs) But after all, you know. When you're smart, you got to flex your muscles, right? Chapter 6 verse 1 through 7. Isaiah's call came by way of a vision. In the year that king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings; with two they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, with two they flew. in his hand a live coal which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Notice first the date is given to us. The year that King Uzziah died, 740 B.C. The date 740 we know that for a fact now Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king and he reigned for 52 years in Jerusalem and you find all this in 2nd Chronicles chapter 26 verse 3 beginning and it moves on forward as you move down in the chapter also the Ammonites had brought tribute to Uzziah his fame spread as far as the entrance of Egypt we are told for he became exceedingly strong Now, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem. He also engineered war machines and fortified them, Chronicles 26 tells us. Uzziah had an army fitted with men that were experts in war. He prepared for them the best of armament, he encouraged them in the Lord. But when he was strong in his heart, or just strong, he was lifted up in his heart to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord. And he burned incense at the altar of incense. Second Chronicles 26, 16 tells us. Isn't it amazing? God does so much for us. God does everything for us. And we are so aware of him doing it. But as time goes on, God is so much part of our life that we get to a point sometimes where we lose sight that it's God. And we start thinking it's us. And that's not good. Until his heart was lifted up and he intervened into the priesthood and he he overstepped his boundaries. King Uzziah was withstood by the priest, and um, they said, You shall not have any honor from the Lord your God. And Uzziah became furious, and he had the censer in his hand. And while he was angry, leprosy broke out in his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord. God struck with leprosy. Then King Uzziah. Remained a leopard until the day of his death, and he dwelt in an isolated house because he was a leopard. For he was cut off from the house of the Lord, Chronicles tells us. How sad that sometimes people get so caught up with themselves that God has to discipline them. And they have to be cut down. You think we learn through example. But we don't. Some do. But very few. And they go on repeating not even the same mistake, but worse, having seen the consequence of the life of others. Somehow, it seems that we have this canny ability to deceive ourselves as our natural abilities, thinking that somehow, some way, I am the exception. And man, I have arrived and I'm going to do it. And I'm going to beat the odds. How many people go to Vegas and they are confident that they are going to beat the odds? Vegas is not built by millionaires and billionaires who go gamble. Vegas is built by the average person who lives from week to week. Somehow we think that we are the exception, and you can fill in the blank on whatever level. At times, good men who are called get in the way of God, losing sight that they are not God. At times, good men who are called become inflated in their own estimation and think they can presume and even abuse their authority without any accountability to anyone. That's wrong. And though God may not act immediately, it is folly to think that God approves of it. Or worse yet, that God will not bring them into judgment for it. At times, God has to remove such men as He sovereignly chooses. Isaiah could have been in the way of God. As the people had their eyes on him, not depending on God. He's such a great king. Who cares if he burned incense? Leave him as king. Who cares if he messed around? Let him be president. Really. Hmm. Very possibly Isaiah was removed because he was in the way of God. People had their eyes on him. Very possibly Notice the vision is described In detail He saw the Lord sitting on the throne High and lifted up And the train did fill His temple The robe God was sitting Notice All was under control Now Uzziah In the year Uzziah died I saw the Lord High and lifted up He was sitting in the temple Everything was under control he was not anxious over the death of Uzziah, as perhaps some of the people were. Perhaps even Isaiah. You know, sometimes things happen in our lives. Oh, what are we going to do now? And we think that God's up there saying, What am I going to do now? <laughs> Nothing's beyond him. God's train, the train of His robe, filled the temple. No other majesty and glory is to be seen by God's servants but God's alone. Look well, Isaiah. Get your eyes off, man. Look at who I am. To me belongs all glory. To me belongs all majesty. Thank me that I'm using him. But
0: it's me who's working.
1: So important.
0: High and lifted up is where Isaiah saw the Lord. Pastor Xavier Reese ending our time together today with a vivid illustration for God's sovereignty in both heaven and earth. Now, there's much more to this study to come next time. But if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, as always, you can pick up a copy of this message. And the title you'll want to ask for is simply Isaiah Part 1. It's available on CD for only $4. And this might be a study you'd like to pass on to someone in your church or Bible study when you're through. Now, once again, the title to ask for is Isaiah Part 1. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. Next time, Pastor Xavier Reese explains that the key to serving God isn't in your ability, but in your availability. Join us then for more Simple Truths.